This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geek show number 550, recorded on October 20th, 2022. Here on Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets that find their way into your home. News, reviews, product updates, and conversation, all for the average tech guy. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the AverageGuy.tv studios here in a weird Bellevue, Nebraska. We can't decide. It was 20 the other day, and then it was 75 today. Weird part of fall. Uh, not quite sure what, what we want. Uh, and, of course, we'll – but it'll get there. Winter's on its way. We uh, post the show with some world-class show notes. Tonight, there might be a few. Uh, Christian and I are going to spend some time talking about PC builds, uh, kind of continuing in that series, and so there may be some links to that. So. We'll post that out at TheAverageGuy.tv. Big thanks to Edward Weniger, who joined us last week, uh, spent some time talking about Alpha Bitcoin, his company, uh, as well as uh, as crypto and crypto prices and crypto mining and some of those kinds of things. So big thanks to Edward for joining us last week. And then also a big thanks to our Patreon subscribers. If you're finding value in this podcast and you want to give back, you can join us on Patreon. Head out to TheAverageGuy.tv slash Patreon. Five bucks a month. If you want to do, you can do it for one month or as long as you want. Uh, if we're if we're giving you some value in that, and you feel like you want to give back, you can do it that way. slash patreon I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but Christian Johnson is back on the program. It's always good. It's like it's like just a warm sweater for me that's kind of worn out and old, but it fits well, and I like it. Christian, you're always great to have on. Welcome back to Home Gadget Geeks. I'm always happy to be a warm blanket. It's good to be back. <laughs> uh, we're at show 550, which makes me feel a little old in, in my own young right. Um, but great to be here. Good to have you. We've been doing this a long time. For anybody new, Christian, you were part of the original crew that helped me start what in the day was called Home Tech. And uh, show number one through, I want to say about 100 and then some things changed, and we had you back on about every 50 uh, or, or so. You're the genius behind Maple Grove Partners, and so if you haven't checked it out yet, I say this at the end of every show, and you're you're always like, I always say, you know, high-speed, reliable hosting you can trust, and that's Christian. And you're like, who is this Christian guy? Well, there he is. He's right there next to me. <laughs> there he is. How is how are things at Maple Grove? We're actually having a lot of fun. Uh, we're working on new software initiatives within uh, Maple Grove. Hosting is now kind of the product side of Maple Grove Partners, which is the company that owns the hosting platform. And uh, we're having some nice uptick in, in customer adoption and trying to keep uh, curtailing to what folks need. So um, Maple Grove is is rocking and rolling in the free world. Are, are plans still 10 bucks? How, how are you doing this in this time of spiraling inflation? I, I say the hell with inflation and give the great things to the masses, damn it. Um, but no, uh, it's good. So we've actually made some changes to how we do our client management and point of sale. So one of them is um, we've added direct credit card charge, which was a big thing that folks wanted. So the era of PayPal subscription for all the things is kind of annoying for a good portion of customers. So uh, we are doing uh, direct credit card payment processing now um, through Stripe, which actually helps quite a bit with um, transaction fees and the like. And we've also changed, um, actually in the last month, we changed the cost structuring. So if you want the $10 a month for the the 
the good 99% plan solution, uh, you prepay annually and that lowers down on our transaction costs and it lowers down on the amount of just nonsense going on. So if you don't like PayPal, but you want the rate and you want to use a credit card and we want lower fees and overhead, prepay annually, go with that. Uh, if you want to do monthly or uh, semi-annually, it's basically a dollar increment up from there. So if semi-annually, it's 11 bucks a month. Monthly, it's 12 bucks a month. Uh, we think that's fairly fair for where we've been, uh, which has been 10 months, 10 bucks a month, whenever you want, however you want. And um, yeah, the reality is that transactions and payment processors and all those other things are kind of annoying. Um, we could care less about inflation. That wasn't really our motivation for it, but we're just trying to simplify the customer experience and give folks more diversity in how they uh, check out and work with us. And uh, so we made those changes here in the last uh, month um, and we'll see how it goes. Great. Yeah, no, great service. And the other day uh, I noticed an error on my page and I pinged you and you're like, oh yeah, we upgraded. Hold on, check it now. <laughs> All right, <laughs> good. And then, uh, of course, WordPress always struggles. And and I always tell people you're kind of WordPress optimized just because of what you got to do to support me. Yeah. You're, you're kind of podcast specialized in a lot of ways because of the same the same reasons, right? I mean, we've we've been on the network from from pretty much from day one on it. So um just gives us an gives you an opportunity to just be really, really good at that. And so you had we had those fixed up and I won't think about it for another six months again when uh the uh something else because it something's bound to happen right you're not gonna it's not gonna be flawless forever you're gonna have changes you're gonna need upgrades right i mean we love we love flawless but you know the last ticket that you noticed was in part uh we've uh just finished our migration of all of our um, standard plan customers from the php 7.4 ecosystem to php 8 which may not sound like a big deal but this particular uh, upgrade had a amazing number of um, language backwards incompatible changes between PHP 7.4 and 8. And so a lot of WordPress plugins and other PHP code had to be tested for compatibility. There's a lot of older plugins out there that folks had still been using that needed to be patched for PHP 8 compatibility. So it was a fair amount of work for us to work with customers and work with um, our environment for the managed ecosystem to get everyone running healthy and happy on PHP 8, which is kind of a mandatory thing at this point, right? PHP 7.4 is end of life. It's security patches stop in November. So it wasn't like we were on the bleeding edge. We always try to, we always try to phase customers to the next PHP towards the tail end of when the current version is going to hit that no more security drop off because we maximize on the stability aspect. Um, but security is non-negotiable. So if it's no longer going to be security supported, sorry, uh, you're going to PHP 8 kicking and screaming whether you like it or not. And so we tried to uh, minimize that pain for a lot of folks. Yeah. There's a lot of folks yeah. who would pick a shared hosting plan like GoDaddy and they'd have to figure that out for themselves and it'd be kind of sad. Um, so just one of the kind of aspects of how we do things differently at Maple Grove. Yeah. And uh, a contact to you and like, Hey, what about this plugin? I'm like, okay, I should probably, it was a plugin I hadn't paid for in a while. So I went out and paid for it, got the upgrade. We put it in there, boomo, and uh, was all set and ready to go. And we had that, uh, we had that corrected pretty fast. So I love that Christian. Cause I just know you can't, I, you'd love to live in a perfect world, but, but perfect is super expensive and really hard to do. And, uh, and for me, doable working, you, you being great at, at the customer service that you do and 
providing great service. Uh, I've just heard nothing but great stuff. So thanks for thanks for hosting Home Gadget Geeks all these all these years. Uh, this December, I think we're coming up on eleven. Yeah, and uh, that's crazy. That's just crazy. Like we're we're super close to that. Anyways, thanks for thanks for doing all that. Uh, Eric Janowski uh, contacted me via email, Jim at TheAverageGuy.tv. Actually, it wasn't that address, but that's the one I want you to use. Jim at TheAverageGuy.tv sent me an email on Sunday and said, "Hey, Jim, your view with Edward on Sunday was not very balanced." That's his word, not not mine. And of course, Edward, you know, comes from Alpha Bitcoin. They are a mining hosting company that spends some time uh, or spends most of its time making money off mining. We spend a lot of time about miners. Christian, uh, you and I have talked about crypto off and on. You haven't been, <laughs> while I've been the, the crazy mining on the forefront of it, you've always been cautious, I think. Uh, my words, not yours on that. Um, and so I said, hey, Christian, uh, Eric wanted another opinion on this. And I thought it'd be nice to kind of come back to that conversation, especially from the impact of the environment question. Because I think that's really what sets a lot of people off as we just think about the enormous amount of energy that gets pulled into, if we think of just Bitcoin, right, the, the enormous amounts of energy. Some of the mining that I've, hard drive mining that I've done on smaller projects, of course, doesn't consume that kind of energy, but it is consuming some. It's not like it's free. It's not like we're all getting our energy from the sun. We're not there yet on some of those kinds of things. So Christian, let's, let's get your take. And I prepped you with this in advance. So this isn't necessarily just off the top of your head, but when we think about Bitcoin and energy, what's your take on that? And, and just give us some, give us opinions that you can, that you can share. Yeah. Um, and again, full disclosure, coming from someone who is not the avid deep in the rabbit hole of the blockchain guy on a day-to-day basis, uh, it gets worse before it gets better is the short story. Um, when you look at Bitcoin and Ethereum combined, uh, and if you were just to treat them as one kind of entity, they rank in like the top 15, it would rank as a top 15 country of power consumption. So uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum combined, if you uh, amortize the power usage and annually, is like well over 300 uh, terawatt hours at this point. And so that gets worse before it gets better. Um, Ethereum has had a lot of commitments and discussion and talk about how their 2.0 system is basically going to be a carbon zero implementation Um and this this is the pressure in this space is being well applied. So even from uh, I will cite things, I will make it as apolitical as possible. I just look at things. Um, but there was an assessment done um, by the White House uh, and they published a report in September uh, entitled Climate and Energy Implications of Crypto Assets in the United States and actually is a fairly detailed, interesting 46-page PDF that kind of murmurs and looks at some of this data and where the kind of pros and cons are of the two big crypto um, voices in the room are against just climate and other energy objectives. And um, when you look at the adoption of the blockchain and cryptocurrency, like, and you see... um, increased utilization of these technologies maybe leveled off 
mining, but after a severe frenzy, like it's very clear to me that even if people are dumping GPU cards left and right, like the big major aspects that are running these things, they're going to keep sucking power, right? So unless the actual implementation of how you run blockchain changes, that's just a nature of the beast problem. Um, And so when you compare those aspects to something like a CBDC, very different space, very different objectives, um, but you can't, you'd find it hard to imagine that the government would back a CBDC or equivalent type of federally managed. What does that stand for? Um, uh, currency backed digital currency. Um, so basically things very similar to stable coin where they're, they're being backed by a well and tracked against a well-known currency in this case, the U S dollar, and you're not going to expect these wild swings and volatility like you may see with something like Bitcoin. Um, and there's this whole kind of sub analysis of let's say Bitcoin and these other, um, non real we'll just say non-regulated because yeah you can you can argue all they want that they've been regulated and sure to some extent but there's still so much that people are figuring out about how to regulate that the regulations that are there are interesting um but you know let's just say those flopped and you were left with the federal government running a digital backed uh, currency that raises a whole host of um, privacy ethics and other challenges that you don't see in the same dimension and light of Bitcoin and Ethereum. So, I mean, we've talked about it on the show before. I think the uh, blockchain is here to stay. I think the ways in which one will run blockchain is going to evolve. We're clearly seeing it from Ethereum. I have not done as much research into what Bitcoin's stance or take on this is in the long term, but um, I think you're going to continue to see growth of everyone saying, look at my version of the coin, look at my version of the coin, and then you're going to see a severe narrowing. Um, It is hard to predict when that narrowing happens, but that's when you know it will go from fad to maturity curve. Um, and what's left at the end of that curve is probably going to be about a dozen household names that become kind of the thing. And if you want to be doing digital currency, you pick from one of these 12s and anything else is a hobby project on GitHub, quite frankly. Um, and that will be a good point of maturity in cryptocurrency to analyze and study, okay, we've hit this point of the growth curve of this technology where are we on energy consumption? Where are we on privacy issues? Where are we on security? Um, I'm sure you're also going to see analysis um, if it hasn't already you know, been done in some respects around how will cryptocurrencies um, maintain um, relevance in the quantum age, right? Will they have quantum resistant algorithms and implementations that secure them from a potential compromise of their very cryptographic nature on commodity computing being challenged by a quantum-based system? Um, Just one of the weird places we could find ourselves in 30 years having those types of uh, challenges. But I think it's fair to say that it is not an exaggeration to say things like the era of the credit card will be dead at some point, the era of holding cash and other things in your wallet will be dead. 
And it's going to raise some challenges because you get to a point where what blockchain and things like Bitcoin have done really well and some of their core tenets and core goals are we've created a system that is decentralized. So there's no gatekeeper telling you who and how to transact at what rate. We've created something immutable. So we can go back in history and time and see exactly who did what for how much, when and where forever. And uh, we've done it in a way that's based in very solid mathematical principles. Like it's not some back of back of napkin math and, uh, you know, yeah, there's going to be bugs and implementation problems and what else is new. That's true of any type of point of sale or transaction based system. But there's a distinguished difference between what you get when you're doing digital currency in a blockchain based environment from a conventional point of sale. Um, I think the big challenge actually that folks will have to deal with in this space. uh, Yeah. Energy consumption, how it runs, et cetera. But for the users, think about that for a second. Think about what it means when the only way you get a good is by a digitally backed currency. And depending on which currencies survive and who gets to regulate and write the rules, that may determine what you get to buy. Whether you're an American citizen or whether you're somewhere abroad, um, it will provide an unbelievable level of visibility and scrutiny into finances that I don't think anyone anticipated they were getting into when all these cryptos started showing up. At first, it was, oh, we've created the great new you know, black market, totally untraceable, thick of the night stuff tax evasion was rampant. Well, all that's the wild west side of it, to be quite honest, is uh, pretty much gone. And I think we still suck at regulating and we don't really know how to regulate. And those discussions are still very green. But the writing on the wall to me is very clear. Um, You will end up having some type of stable ecosystem to run the blockchain, there will be a in a sense, when that winnowing of who gets to run the currencies happens, that will determine whether or not in a way we've gone back to a central model, because sure, all the transactions are decentralized, but the people who are playing and writing the rules of the road are, are in a sense, a centralized known commodity. And then it really just comes down to the fundamentals of, do you want to be in a position where, oh, I, I'm sorry, you've put too much gas in your car today. Um, we're going to turn off your wallet for the next 12 hours. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty of people who listen that say, ah, that's garbage, whatever. It's just, you know, it's a Christian ramble. And maybe it is, I don't know. Um, but it's certainly not inconceivable to see that we'll, we'll have created such a good system that is so immutable in what it does and how decentralized it is that, yeah, if there's a limited set of gatekeepers who write and play those rules, all of a sudden, what was originally this decentralized way of moving money in this freeing way could become very restrictive again. And so then you have to kind of go back to, well, wait a second, what were the original goals of putting something like Bitcoin out there? And when you start to ask those questions, you really start to ask a much more fundamental question, which is, is the value of blockchain long term have anything to do with currency in the financial systems or does it serve a greater purpose or a different purpose? Um, And these are fairly existential questions when you start talking about cryptocurrency that I don't think we're anywhere close to answering. And I think you're going to see a lot of episodes play out. Um, when you look at people who have made 
big bucks off of it, little bucks off of it, whatever. That's all cute and good stuff. And quite honestly, good for you. You saw something that others didn't, but no one has provided a clear, rational argument to me about at the end of the day, what are these currencies back their value in? How do you, how do you attest to the level of speculativeness about a given currency? How do you measure the worth of a currency? Um, and you just start getting into market economics that I think would make most people's heads spin um, and and find yourself kind of in a wildly different place from the original joys and promises of what Bitcoin was supposed to be, which is, my God, it's 20K today. It'll be 30K tomorrow. Keep buying, keep buying. And it was like, well, why are you doing that? Because it's going up. And, you know, it's like, OK. Um, and And that's one aspect of it. Then you get the mining aspect of it, where by 2040, you're not going to make a buck for mining because there's going to be nothing left to mine. Um, and yeah, again, you're just you're already seeing that we're coming in a landing for the types of outcomes that could happen with kind of, all right, crypto V1, this is what we learned. And I think when people see the, mat- the, the maturation curve in V2, we're going to be left with a lot of questions about, wait, what happened? Yeah, yeah. That's a great, I think that's a great summary. Where do you land on, um, when we think about Bitcoin and the amount of energy it takes to keep it running, to mine it and keep it running? And you just mentioned, you know, it does have an end date. Like, this won't go on forever. That doesn't, I mean, we still, there's still 20 years there or so. Any thoughts on just the sheer amount of of energy it's taking to mine and maintain this thing? Oh, it's ungodly stupid. I mean, it's not even (laughs) just the amount to run it. It's the amount to manufacture it. I mean, can we count how much electricity was wasted creating all these AIB 3080, 3090 cards that went all over the world only to say, oh shit, it's not worth anything anymore. Let's start mass selling them on eBay, right? So um, there's a lot of- Or mine other coins with them. And that uses, then it, it exponentially spreads that energy consumption across yeah. other projects, right? There's a lot of hidden costs. I think the I think one thing that would move the cost needle substantially is, you know, sure, GPUs are efficient at doing this stuff in a sense, but if there are evolutions in chip design and manufacturing to the point where we design basically CPU GPU hybrids that are, and you know, you can go get an ant miner and like, yeah, that's kind of what I'm talking about, but still an ant miner is let me go put this brick that is just draw. It's like a, you probably need a Tesla power wall to run that thing <laughs> off the grid. Um, yeah. yeah. Not exactly what I'm talking about. Um, if you look at, um, you know, where we've come just with like ARM CPUs, right? More and more compute density with less and less power consumption. That's the type of stuff where I think you need to have innovation in that space to try and play the commodity game um, and and reverse usage. And yeah, places like Ethereum where they're looking at approaches that don't involve that kind of aspect at all may end up being way more efficient than anything you can optimize in the hardware and the mining space. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but at the end of the day, like crypto is a cost. Like if you think about all the computers in the world and all the crypto they push every day and like, just think about your VPN, 
how much power consumption does your VPN run? No one asks questions like that, but how many like ungodly billions of VPN tunnels are running around the internet doing nothing but pushing AES 256 frames all day long? Um, <laughs> no one knows how to count that because it's not the sexy cryptocurrency thing. And like, I get it. It's probably not as much as, um, uh, as an Ethereum stack, but you know, that's what people said about NAT translation on IPv4, and that's taken po several power plants just to run the overhead of IPv4 versus IPv6. So, like, we don't even think about stuff like that. You know, it's funny. I had a conversation with a coworker a few months ago, and we were talking about how expensive is Java to run? And I was like, that's an interesting question. What do you mean by that? Um, and I'm not talking about, like, uh, you know, the fact that Oracle kind of acquired it and it split and you know, none of that, just like generally like Java is this open source runtime and you can do all these great things. What do you mean? What's the cost of running Java? And it's like, well, wait a second. If my CPU cores are already always pegged at a hundred percent because I'm doing, you know, the Java heap is coming by for garbage collection. How much, how, and, and Java mind you is installed in over 3 billion devices in the world. And let's just say that each of them are about 30% less efficient than the same implementation in C, C++. Think about how much wasted compute and power that is around the world to say you're running a Java program. And I mean, yeah. that stuff sounds insane, but when you're like, well, what is the world power consumption required to run the internet? Um, you can't even begin to really understand what are the draws of that without understanding like uh, what, what did the software applications require? What do the algorithms require? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and then, you know, like we're going to talk about PC building tonight. And one of the foundational questions I have is like, look at um, uh, 2020 and 2021 architectures and compare them to the stuff coming out in 2022. Yeah, you're seeing faster and more density. But my God, look at the power consumption differences between the architectures. I want nothing to do with the, the current generation stuff. Like it's basically we doubled the compute by quadrupling the power consumption. I'm like, no, no, mm -hmm. it's supposed to go the other way industry. It's supposed to be double the compute for half the power. Um, and so we're kind of coming at a reckoning where folks are trying to get unnatural squeezes by juicing up the power requirements. I mean, just to run the NVIDIA 4090 cards that are coming out, you have to do ungodly numbers of things with your PSU adapters and connectors to run it. And most of the sample cards, when they plugged them in, the cable melted. The cable <laughs> can handle the, the current running through it. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's going to be kind of nasty. Um, and I think, sure, for enthusiast stuff, that's one thing. But by and large, um, I do believe we have not hit the the end curve yet with Moore's law. I think if you look at what's going on with stuff like ARM, like that is the right area to be thinking when you look at the Apple M1 chips, when you look at companies like Amazon designing their own server chips um, instead of using commodity that are curtailed, when you look at what Google is doing where they're now uh, talking about um, open source chip design, you know, let's in a sense democratize the ability to, you know, make and push your own CPUs and GPUs. Like to me, that's the kind of thinking that moves the needle on, okay, we can still have the growth of the internet and the growth of the devices, but we can do so in a way that's not this huge power vacuum uh, to keep running something that is growing exponentially. So yeah, if your tech ecosystem is growing exponentially, you have to understand what the power requirements are to have that growth rate. And we don't, we don't have a handle on it. 
There's a Cyber Frontiers episode right there. (laughs) We were talking about that in the pre-show. I had asked the question, you know, should we just move Cyber Frontiers to uh, to Home Gadget Geeks? And uh, Christian, you just did it. So that's uh, that's pretty awesome. I think um, uh, back to the Bitcoin question for a minute, and then we'll move on. Um, I think this experiment that Ethereum is trying um will give us some indication of ooh, I, i'm getting a little bit of feedback from you christian are, you, are we coming through speakers from you see if you can turn yeah try now turn them down just a smidge for me. try now um there we go hold on let me let me set your mic one second i can do that from here uh let me just bring that down a little bit okay um no i'm still getting it a little bit We'll see. Hold on. Let me keep talking. We'll, yeah, see if he can get that. So it'll be interesting to see on this. There we go. Perfect. It'll be interesting to see on this Ethereum experiment as they've moved from proof of work to proof of stake. Just what that means from, uh, I mean, it's certainly folks who are mining on these cards before. It's created this now flood of these GPUs now coming in. Because yeah, Bitcoin hasn't always been. You can't, you couldn't mine on a GPU with Bitcoin for a long time. There, there could be some Ethereum, Ethereum derivatives you could have, right? So, folks continue to do that as Ethereum moved off of that. Now it's proof of stake. Be interesting to see what they do, where that goes, how that happens, what the actual ramifications of it are. We saw, um, you know, it wasn't long ago here in the United States where the yeah the money was centralized out of Washington, but in the frontier. Cities had their own had their own currencies, right? And it was a very similar kind of situation. Not similar from the sense of of power consumption, but similar. From I am getting some, I am getting some uh, feedback from you. If you could turn your speakers down, I don't know why it just started. That's the weird. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. They're, they're as low as they go now. <laughs> no, that's fine. Can you? You can still hear me. I assume. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's perfect. That's fine. So, um, but I, I, I feel like we're a little bit in the same situation where this crypto is in the, we're in the frontiers, you know, the frontier land. And I, I don't know if any of these implementations are actually going to stick very long. You, you talked about quantum computing. If quantum messes this up, we may need to go into a whole new setup where we go, okay, now what does the blockchain look like processed on quantum computers? Like, what what does that crypto look like? And not the crypto coin, but the actual the actual crypto part of it. It is. I say that is is that true? Is that even is that the way we go on this? Do they do we have to start doing these again with longer solutions or more numbers? I don't know, Christian. What what are your thoughts on that? If we have to redo this, they claim that the proof of stake approach is a higher security model than um, the proof of work, um, but that you know security is a cat and mouse game right so the crypto you're using today to do proof of state is x and the level of cryptographic entropy that will be required to be quantum resistant is y and you may need better cpus more efficient instruction sets to run that that crypto correctly and so yeah like this is not a it's a point in time outlook and i don't know that necessarily that the approach or the algorithm of a blockchain changes overnight but the 
computational approach to implementing new algorithms and using different types of crypto to run a blockchain is certainly something that could be constantly evolving. Yeah. Yeah. Ken and I, of course, have been working on on Chia, which is a proof of space and time. These are hard drive, you know, these are hard drive based, less power consumed in creating these still still energy, right? Still people, still equipment, you know. Um I don't think that method is taken off, you know, quite like I think they, they were hoping it would. Um, it's still out there and they're, they're still moving along. Those, that coin, I don't know, 30, 40 bucks at this point. That doesn't, you know, there's really no no correlation between the price of the coin and its usability in a space, right? That is just the the, the, the coin value only gives incentives for miners to actually do the work required to validate the blockchain, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's uh, that's one of those things from there where you just kind of think, okay, we got to remember what we're doing with these. And yeah, it's become a tradable commodity of sort, but at the end of the day, we got to kind of, okay, what's the value of the, of the coin, the reward that can be traded? And then what's the value of the blockchain as it is used? Today, I don't know if there is anything for the most part that's really taken off on the blockchain that really represents the true value of it or what it could be, right? I mean, can you name an initiative that you would say, oh, yeah, this is the perfect use of the blockchain? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. But in a sense, I kind of like that because uh, it still tells me that we maybe haven't bottomed out on what is possible to do with blockchain that we just yeah, are so no. focused on currency is the main right. use case. We're not thinking about right. some of the other use cases that could have that wide mainstream impact. Right. right. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think we have a lot of work to do. It's super sexy on the trading because it's easy. Mm -hmm. Like That part is easy. Like, oh yeah, it's worth this much. I buy it, I wait for it to go up, I sell it, or it goes down, I lose money. That's super easy. The actual implementation of what do we do with these blockchains now that we have them, that's much more difficult, right? And yeah. the usages of them. So, um, well, I appreciate that opinion on anything else you'd add or anything else you want to you wanna add to that part? No, I just, um, it, it's interesting. I, um, I listened to the last show and I, you can hear a difference as well in, um, for lack of a better word, risk appetite. I think people who are really into crypto have different levels of risk that they're willing to take in investment, in utilization, in mining, in, um, honoring their, their, uh, federal, state, local tax regulations um, in, and in how they use it in their life. And I think just the fact that there's such a wide spectrum still of how people are willing to engage in crypto um, was interesting to me. It left me with kind of some food for thought of like, hey, has all the growth and adoption in recent years, you know, what type of people has that attracted and have those interests fallen into certain groups more so than others? Um, 
you know, at the very beginning, you have all your hobbyists, the, you know, I do whatever I want. It's a wild west. It's unregulated. Let's go do crazy stuff. Um, we're not there today, but what does that mean for the types of users that these platforms are attracting? So mm-hmm. like, if you were like, who is your average Ethereum user and how would you describe them? I don't know that I'd have a good answer. Yeah. Um, I think that's a question we need to answer um, in some respect to understand where this is going. Well, the trading markets are pretty mature. Like you think about the ways to get fiat on the blockchain, right? Ways to trade across different coins, ways to to borrow. And I mean, they're just as sophisticated as, as a lot of our, you know, our commodities or our stock markets. From a from a trading perspective, that area has gotten very, very sophisticated. But that's just trading the front end of the coin, right? That's just a statement of value that is like any other thing that can have value associated with it. Um, But if you, if you said, okay, what are we actually doing with these things? People would be like, I don't know. I can't, I I asked you, you can't name one project, right? You're like, uh, so um, there is a lot of maturity in that trading space and, and it, it is, they're buying yeah. NFTs. I, I that was apparently oh. a trigger on the last show. But that's yeah, yeah. well, and, uh, NFTs. Yeah, NFTs. Uh, Edward is not a big fan of the direction that NFTs have gone um, because they're silly, right? I mean, and until we actually get things to, till we actually get things of real value to to secure with the blockchain, none of that, none of that stuff really matters, you know. So it's. Uh, Certainly, from from that standpoint, I I still find it very very interesting, and the reason I continue to talk about it on this show is because I think gadget geeks, it's going to play into the future world of everything we do in some form or fashion. I don't know where it'll land. I think somebody was asking. I think Ken was asking a little bit earlier uh, about you know a time frame. You you had kind of mentioned you were talking about this convergence, where or I'm going to call it a culling where 99% of these junk blockchains just disappear. They don't have to, but there's no incentive anymore to keep the computers turned on yep. that run these things, right? I think at a minimum, it takes eight years for that flush to occur, and okay. it could take over a decade. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Maybe another decade uh, uh, in that. So by the way, that's not uh, that's that's Christian's opinion. <laughs> this is not financial advice. <laughs> yeah, do do not buy or trade or sell or say we told you. But uh, it, it is, um, um, yeah. J- uh, John. So John mentions he says every time you purchase something with crypto, it's a taxable event, right? Uh, that's a big problem. Now to- imagine if you're using a CBDC and the CBDC is automatically reporting your. Uh, taxable events to the IRS and you're not paying attention and you end up owing or better yet, they're just taking it from your wallet. Just like they take Mm. when they withhold from your paycheck, right? There's no more of this concept of tax fraud because the only way you can purchase something is to use a CBDC. And when you record that transaction, yeah, the, the, all, all the taxes are moving to the right place, just magically fairy dust into the treasury. Um, and people are like, no. And it's like, okay, well, then what else is the pro- point of having a CBDC? Tightly regulated, stability, no volatility. And yeah, we can write yeah. the playbook to meet and support financial markets in a way that we haven't been able to do before. Yeah. Um, 
it's it's a compelling direction we could be heading in heading in um and i don't i don't know that your average crypto enthusiast they would run like 180 degrees in the opposite direction of that narrative but yet mm-hmm. that to me mm-hmm. seems like a fairly probable outcome in this experiment that we're doing yeah i think it's the other side of the uh, the the equation i think we a lot of folks came to crypto to for privacy and the the ugly truth maybe i'm not saying it's gonna be the ugly truth maybe it actually may be an anti privacy tool yes in the future right when you use crypto which gives you the property of immutability and in a a way non-repudiation of what happened all you have to do is for someone to come and regulate and take that anonymous identifier and say, yep, that anonymous identifier is Bob. Hey, you want to know what else has been an anonymous identifier in the government for, I don't know, 90 years now? Your social security number, which has been used, used and abused so many different ways to Sunday, is probably never supposed to be a generic, unique identifier for U.S. citizens. It started as this very specific benefit during the Great Depression and recovery era. And now it's like this prevalent identifier that thou shall must have to use and transact and do business. Guess what? Replace that number with your with your uh, crypto wallet ID and all of a sudden uh, use and use the system as is with a CBDC. And yeah, this whole privacy nonce, you know, argument goes goes to dust yeah 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 (laughs) we've lots of conversations privacy conversations back on old versions of cyber frontiers so if you you want more of that you want to go back and listen to some of those some some pretty good stuff well i think a long conversation and a good conversation around that's a good opportunity to to dialogue a little bit about it and and i think there are as many opinions about it as there are people and so that's the great news. You you formulate what you want to think about it and you you do the things. Eric, thanks for your email on it. And Eric sent me a bunch of resources on it as well. And um, you know, if you come at it from a pure environmental standpoint, you gotta hate it. You got to. It's a it's an environmental disaster, right? You just have to you have to. But Christian, to your point though, how much if if we looked at the energy consumption of that and then you think about the energy consumption of other things that we do for entertainment purposes or for, you know, to, for other things. And you got to kind of think it's probably not the only thing out there that is not, that has no value, no necessary value, but is still consuming that we still consume a lot of, a lot of power for in the top three of those are probably all on the internet. So that's one of those. I, I think about tonight. It's a Thursday night football game only being shown on Amazon Prime. And so you've you've got to go. You can't get it over the air. So I have to go if I'm going to. And it, it's streaming. And think of all the streaming servers that are there to, to stream those things. And think of I have to have my computer turned on to be able to watch this. My The TV I use, I just bought this brand new TV that we use for the deck and the power consumption on that thing. The sticker, the yellow sticker, if I run that TV, it's like 20 bucks a year if I leave that on five hours. But if I use my computer to do that, which I'm more likely to, just to be 100% honest, well, that, that consumption is much higher, right? Yep. So just to watch a football game, like, and by the way, that same thing's true of Monday Night Football. That's only on ESPN. That I might I might watch on cable, but chances are I'm watching it on my ESPN Plus app. Thanks, Disney, for that. 
And, and, um, and so like how much football over the weekend in the United States and the world or football in other, the other football we call soccer is being consumed online in streaming. You, you were, I think you were alluding to that, maybe another unsavory uh, conversation that goes on as well. Uh, how much power is consumed in keeping all that infrastructure up and running? That'd be interesting. You ever seen a power figure on the internet? Like, what does it take to run the internet? Have you ever seen that? I've seen it in the past. It's been a while since I've actually looked and restudied the topic, but they're out there. Yeah, just wondering. I I was not trying to put you on the spot. Just kind of wondering. Like, and, you know, to John's point, it's part of the human condition, right? To do these kinds of things. And we're not just going to live in a cave. Well, that's all true. I'm just, it's just getting perspective on, like, I think to your point, sometimes we, these things get called out and you're kind of like, well, actually there's some other things that just kind of seem to happen that we don't, we don't necessarily take into consideration. Okay. Uh, so Eric, thanks for emailing that interesting conversation. Christian, I have in my hands here, Horizon oh, 5, 5600 X. Um, what I've, what, this is the beginning of the build. Um, got a great deal on it. 165 bucks, 65 Watts on these. Um, I think is the, is the peak thought it was a great price for performance. Um, I could be wrong on that, uh, on that wattage. I thought it was 65 could be 105. I'll have to look that up as we're chatting, but, um, that's peak. Um, and so for me, that AMD gen four, right. Um, gave me the right power for performance and cost for what I was looking for. I could have spent more, but for what I'm doing, by the way, I've had the same conversation in my head about building this computer and thinking, what am I going to do with this thing? (laughs) That's going to like, when do I really need it? Well, okay. I have some aging computers that, yeah, I should probably replace. Right. There's some things like I tried to run Microsoft Flight Simulator. I wanted to do some entertainment with that. Couldn't run it on my current Windows box. The 47, 4770, I think, or 4740, 4700. It's a third gen i7. Won't run it at this point. Struggles. And I don't have a GPU in there. So I was like, okay, it's probably time to upgrade. But I kind of started thinking like I could throw a lot of, I could throw a lot of power at this thing. But do I need to? You know, do I need to, do I need a, an I, do I need an I nine or do I need a Ryzen nine? You alluded to this just a second ago, the new architectures, right? So we have both new GPUs and CPUs coming out. Did this is last, this is kind of last month's great stuff. It's great stuff. Why do you say that? So first off, when you think about it, um, the 5,600, X MSRP'd around 300 bucks when it first hit the market. And uh, so you've, you've basically bought one to two year old technology at 50% off, but you ask yourself some pretty fundamental questions. Like what is it that you do today that you can't do on a gen three, but you can do on a Zen four. Nothing I can think of. There's really, unless you're looking for super niche benchmark performance on the hottest game title of the day, 
your average compute use case, you're just not going to see your dollar get much value for going between a Zen 3 and a Zen 4 architecture. And Zen 3 was like a big, big leap for AMD. I mean, they crushed it. Um, there's no other way to say it. Like one of the most successful consumer chips of the last decade, easily. Um, and you know, they wiped the they wiped the floor with Intel on it. And so yeah, I it's not to say Zen 4 isn't cool or isn't the next thing or can't do, you know, more compute, but you're gonna pay top dollar and you're gonna have um you're going to move to the new socket design and your new CPU. If you're trying to bring coolers or other stuff over with that new socket design may not be fully compatible. They like, they tried to make it compatible, but then while they made the cooler um, brackets compatible, they, they screwed up the retainer clip on the motherboard. So like, it's not as easy or as obvious as it sounds in some cases, depending on if you're, what type of aftermarket cooler you're using. So when you're just saying I'm looking for an all around great chip without burning cash into the ground, it's really hard to point to something that's going to outdo a 56 or a 5,800 in terms of price per dollar for 99.9% of your modern day generation computing. And it's not to say it's just a thing to browse the web with. That's going to be able to handle VR. It's going to be able to handle most game titles. Um, you're going to be able to run VMs on it. I mean, it's really, it's not a, a, a chip to sneeze at. Um, so I, I think it's a great choice, a great design. And no one has really articulated for the average consumer why they should spend the money to go to, to the Gen 4 stuff right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I missed, I misspoke. Zen three is the, is the version on that. I think I call it a four, but it yep. is the AMD socket AM4 architecture. Yep. Um, I'm still trying to get the exact wattage on that, but, um, six cores, 12 processing threads, um, comes with a cooler, um, in there. Um, well, good. Watt TDP for 65. The... That's what I thought yep. it was. Yeah. That's what I thought it was. So, so good. Like you've, you've, you've told me in, you know, Bob and Ryan kind of stirred me in this direction, steered me in this direction a couple of weeks ago when we had them on Bob and Ryan are from thinkcomputers.org. And, um, and I could have done the, you know, Ryan had said I could have done the 5,800 X3D, which would have given me a little bit more power, especially when it came to gaming. Um, another probably double in price for that. So, and right now, actually this, you can get this Ryzen 5 5,600X for $150 right now most places so it's amazing like yeah amazing stuff yeah and and in a really good a really good price point um for that i didn't i chose not to i thought well i think i'll go because again the thought was do i really need to push it that hard for the some of the for some of the compute i'm going to probably create four vms on it just to be honest um we'll, we'll talk about memory here in a second i will probably run some games on it uh, which the GPU will matter. We'll talk about that here in a second. Um, and uh, and and I think for what I'm doing, that's that's a good price point. Um, Christian, we, you and I in our Discord group at theaverageguy.tv/discord. If you want to join this conversation, in our hardware group, I've been throwing in some of these questions. And Christian, so now the next logical conclusion. I don't have a board for this. I can't, you know, I can't run it off my tongue. Uh, that won't work that way. It won't make me smarter. So I got to get a board for it. 
and I was looking at some, some, you know, some B five fifties, which are the cheaper boards. The X five seventies are going to give me a little bit more with some additional, uh, M dot two slots in there as well as maybe a few other things in it. Um, any, any thoughts? I, I want to hear your thoughts again as we're, as I'm thinking about these boards, by the way, price comparison, probably around 200 for a pretty decent 550, three to 400 for the, for the X570 in that space, just from a price comparison standpoint, I could probably find some 570s at a little bit cheaper. I was looking for, for Wi-Fi six in it because knowing that's going to be the next thing. A lot of these are coming with 2.5 gig um, uh, ethernet, but I was kind of hoping not like that's one of those things. I think six is the next thing on Wi-Fi that will help with doing wireless VR headsets in the future from what I understand. So those are some things I was looking at when I was looking at some of these boards, your thoughts uh, on a 550 versus a 570. Yeah. In general, it really comes down to um, how much you care about uh, PCI four and how much you care about thermals and overclock. So certainly if you want to do any type of chip setting overclock tweak, that kind of thing, um, you're going to have a better VRM and thermal design on the 570 from the 550. Um, but for price for dollar, you seem to uh, do much better on the peripherals with the 550 boards um, than the 570 boards. So in order to get both the peripherals and the better chipset and PCI4 support, you're jumping to about 2x the price of getting good peripherals with probably not great overclock. Um, so the first thing you just you kind of have to decide is, am I going to put a chip in here that I want to tweak the hell out of, or do I just want to run the stock clock thing? I'm not going to touch it. It, you know, I'm going to run it stock and be happy with it. And if mm -hmm. that's your answer, then you're probably fine with the B550. And it's more about what's the best peripheral spectrum you'll get on the B550. Um, I think the other question to look at is um, for the 550 boards, typically you'll get one PCIe 4 bus lane, and I think the other ones are typically all three lanes. Mm -hmm. So if the GPU is the only thing you need to put on that board and you're going to buy a PCIe 4 graphics card, got to make sure that's the thing it goes in. And if you have other peripheries that you care about on other slots, just know that like, that's you're going to have a much more limited PCIe bus and that's probably okay for a lot of other commodity cards, but it's to me, it's a little bit of a shame to buy a, like a 30, whatever your RTX three series or four series of choices. I really don't recommend a four series card with these boards or in life in general right now, but let's say your three series card of choice, which are cheaper than uh just unbelievably cheap compared to where they started right the fact i can get a 3090 ti for what the msrp of what original 3080 was two years ago is insane um but anyway um you're going to want to make sure that that lives and runs on a pci4 slot yeah and and i probably i'm going to have a single video card in there so it, you know single gpu and uh, I don't, at this point, don't plan to run, kind of thinking about uh, my other boxes. I do have a, like an LSI card controller for the mm -hmm. for some 
because I run a bunch of hard drives for some of the mining that I do. Not necessarily needing PCI four for that. I, I would. What else would I need a second PCI four slot for? Some think? folks um, in older boards would want to run their M2s or their SSDs mounted to their PCIe slot. But if you have an M2 native on the motherboard, you don't. I mean, that's kind of like a mid-generational hack that people would do to get more juice out of their boards without doing a whole new build. Um, that's one consideration. Um, some folks get fancy with wanting like USB-C and Firewire and some of the other like non-standard peripheral ports that are not going to come as robust on the back end of the motherboard as peripherals. Um, and other than that, honestly, not a whole lot in a way PCIe yeah. for the consumer has really been become, has really become about putting your graphics card in mm-hmm. um, a lot of the other stuff is yeah. very niche and you don't need the high-end data rates to run that niche hardware the 550 as we talked about this both in the discord group and and a couple weeks ago with bob and ryan like on a 550 i'm going to get two m.2 one's going to be a gen 4 these yeah. are hard drive gens right now so one's going to be a gen 4 the other's going to be a gen 3 so significantly faster I probably will end up only putting one M.2 drive on there to begin with. I keep a lot of the storage stuff that I need either in the cloud or locally, but it's not it's not going to be on that box. So I'm not going to necessarily, I don't think I would necessarily benefit. I do feel a little FOMO of Christian, to be honest, on the 570s. Generally, you're going to get four Gen 4 M.2s. Yeah. And when you think about future-proofing it, you kind of go, well... Yeah, I don't not doing that today, but man, there could be a situation in the future where I, I might want to you know, imagine a RAID one or a RAID five of those uh, M2 drives. And yeah, yeah if, if, one, if one goes <laughs> bad, you just swap out the flash and keep on going. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't know why I would do that today. Like I no, literally have crazy. no good Especially reason. <laughs> if you're doing general commodity backup, it's overkill. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. but that's basically the big trade-off you make between 550 and 570. How much Gen 4 stuff are you putting in that box? Right. And that kind of determines which chipset you need. Yeah. 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 Both support about, both support not about. They both support 128 gig of RAM. So that's the, that's the max on these. Um, you talked about thermals. And so we think about, I think this 570s generally come with better thermals. They've, they've thought about it more. You've got more of that air being directed in places to keep things cool um, in some of those pieces. And so I, I've got, I've got to kind of come down. It kind of really comes down to, in a lot of ways, like, do I want four M.2s or do I, is two okay? Can I get away with two on that? Because everything else I can, well, in, in I'm and I'm going to just, well, you say I say this today. I'm going to use that one PCI 4 slot, and that's it, because I'm going to have one GPU. Again, future-proofing. We're talking about the difference. Let's just double this thing. So generally, 200 bucks for a pretty good 550 board, 400 bucks for a pretty good uh, 570 board, right? Yeah. You can, and you can find yeah. them differently, but let's just say that's the truth. Yeah. I mean, and the exceptions to those rules will generally be around which one you try to dial an index on, right? So a really good example in the Discord chat was you can get an entry-level X570 board, the Asus Tough, which is actually a pretty good board for 200 bucks. 
So you'll get the higher end chipset without paying double, but you're not going to get Wi-Fi 6E, you're going to get Wi-Fi 5. So if you care about a peripheral like being on 6th gen Wi-Fi, that's not a board you would pick. Um, so if- Well, but I could replace that 5. Looking at that chip, if that chip is not soldered to the board, yeah. they're selling 6E boards. That in theory, you pull the 5 off, put the 6 yeah. in, right? Or, or you go buy a big Wi-Fi 6E PCIe card and jam it in there and say, look how <laughs> great that looks in my build, guys. Uh, yeah. Probably yeah, not. Yeah. yeah. As I was doing some research on this for tonight, I was I came across those six cards that are swappable on, on a motherboard. I didn't do much research as I dug into that. Um, <laughs> uh, Uncle Mar says, uh, night, I got to go price of my nine CPU. So <laughs> Uncle Marv, sorry if we've influenced you to go buy stuff. Um, so it was one of those kinds of things I thought, okay, maybe the six is in, it's important now. I haven't, I haven't really bought the VR stuff yet. The goal will be to put this box together and then kind of come at it from a VR perspective. I think there's also going to be a bunch of VR announcements coming up at CES here at the beginning of the year and I may want to wait kind of for those things to happen from a VR perspective before I think about what kind of headset I'm going to plug into this thing. So Christian, I think I, I initially had thought drop dead 6E, it just makes sense. Well, if I could get a 570 board now and know I could swap out that, I don't have that need today. Listen, those 6E cards are like 25 bucks. So it's not like it's, it's a gigantic upgrade. I could, get into the board that I want now, uh, as you mentioned, like that Asus board, and then begin, and that would guarantee I got, because I'm not going to be able to upgrade the the PCI 3 to PCI 4. Not going to be able to make that upgrade. It's going to always be PCI 3. I'm not going to necessarily be able to add M.2 slots to the board. Yeah, I could, I could buy a card, put it in that PCI 3 slot, and then put some M.2s in it, but the ones on the board probably would run better, faster, look a little bit better. So maybe it does make sense to look through that board perspective and say, okay, one, can I swap the Wi-Fi card on there when time comes? Will that work? Yeah. And, um, you know, I'll pull, pull this link up real quick, but um, they have this version of the the tough pro board is a Wi-Fi six board for 220, which is a little oh. bit above that 200 pivot point, but that puts you in the X570 chipset range and with the Wi-Fi six card from day one. Um that's not a bad deal. Oh, I don't think I got the right. Is this you said this uh, MSI? I put it in the stream, the uh, stream yard chat. Oh, in stream yard. Sorry. No, no, no. I see it there. I must not. I, I must have. Uh, I must have copied or pasted the wrong thing. So let's let's try it again. Sorry. There you go. That's the one. Okay. So ASUS Tough Gaming X570 Pro Y56 AMD4 Zen3. Right. So it supports everything we want. It's got. It's going to have the. Um, both these PCI are going to be 4.0. Right. Yep. Um, and as we look through the. Um, as we look through, you're getting Wi-Fi six, and you're getting the two and a half gig LAN port, which is actually pretty good value at that price point. Yeah. It's rare yeah, to yeah. see all those lumped in. 
at right. that price point. Right. Yeah. What was your beef on MSI? I know you weren't a big fan of that, but but what was your mostly quality, um, especially in the overclocking community? The okay. the high end boards is typically how I measure how well the 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 AIBs are doing um, with these chipsets, and it was just clear that MSI wasn't as competitive um, with the ASUS brand. They're okay, um, but. You know, it's funny. It's like I place a lot more trust in Asus when it comes to motherboards, but I place a lot less trust in them in their laptops. So, like, you get, it's like I, they weight, they weigh in certain categories depending on what you're looking for. And I think that Asus has done a really marvelous job with overall board quality with the Zen 3 architecture. And I run personally, I run the Dark Hero board, which was a, one of the, one of the top, selling successful boards for this generation of hardware and it's it's solid stuff i mean I, i'm tickled pink with how well they did with it so i i give a lot of credence to asus both for their motherboards and for the the nvidia gpu series they did i mean they just did a great job with this cycle of hardware so uh one um uh, and, and, uh, hold on, let's get, we got another comment here. So Justin says he fully, I fully concur with your comments about Asus and GPUs. Um, good as well. Um, uh, that board just has two gen four, not four, uh, on it. But again, uh, I'm, but at I, least it's not a four and a three. It's two right, fours. Correct. Yeah, correct. To to the to the best of my knowledge, just looking at the um, featuring dual M.2 slots NVMe. Well, it says dual M.2 slots NVMe SSD. I don't I'll have to dig in a little bit and see what those just to see what that what what the what the um, what the. But this is definitely like you've you've in it. We got it in that two twenty price range, which I think is is a good value. I am trying to kind of keep the value on this thing. Um, okay. So, uh, I like this board. I, before I, I, I told you at some point I may purchase right now, but I'm going to do a little bit of, <laughs> and I've done that. Uyghurs talked me into buying things right away. This is a little more complicated. So I want to look into it a little bit just before I do it. That's not a rush. Christian 128 gig versus 64. You know, I'm going to run some VMs on this thing. You know, it, right now it's double. It's 200 for 64. It's 400 for 128. Dots on, right, you know, and I'm always, I always hate this. Like, well, yeah, you could do 64 now and then buy another 64, but then they're not matched kind of deal, right? I don't know. Thoughts yeah. on that? Personally, uh, for the desktop, I think 64 is the way to go. I built 64 um, in my uh, Zen 3 box, and I run VMs and other stuff, and I've been very happy with it. Um, even my steady state of having the chaos of applications open, no VMs, just like all my productivity, all my other stuff, I'm using about 24 gigabytes committed on a given day. Um, so that still leaves well over 40 gigabytes to run whatever vms you want even if you're running eight vms if you each give them four gigs of, uh, of ram um you're fine so you really have to be running a little bit of a vm farm to justify the 128 in my mind um for servers different story right like i'm building server blades at maple grove that are 256 gigs of ram density because guess what their job is to run vms um but for the desktop 
I think 64 is the right number. I think these days 32 is the minimum you would want. I think 64 is a nice middle ground. You can go up to 128, but uh, you're just gonna you're gonna feel like you did this great thing, but it's not, in my opinion, gonna impact your productivity. Yeah. Well, if I had three VMs running, you know, 16 gig each, I like to throw about 16 gig at Windows, even though eight, you could do it with eight. 12 is a little bit better. Anything I'm running with 16 just seems to run better on the Windows side. So if I had three Windows VMs, you know, all of a sudden I'm at 48, I got 16 left for the, and I, I don't do, I do, I don't do dynamic. I do static. So I take it all when we go in there, when, when those VMs are set up, um, though, uh, you know, Oracle just released, um, uh, VM, mm, or mm, what's the name of Oracle's VM software, uh, virtual box. There we go. Um, and I've been using that on another box to emulate uh, home assistant, which is a really easy way to run home assistant, by the way, on a virtual box. It runs great. Um, uh, it may run a little bit better than VM than than Hyper-V. So that I may get some economies there. Okay. Well, I've got some things to think about. John was asking, what's the total cost of the build you're looking at right now? John, I'm actually not thinking of it that way. I'm thinking about what's the best value for what I can get right now in a price point that I can sleep with. Like I could at night, I go to bed going, yeah, like when I bought the 5600X, I went, I got it. What what Christian said too, this is, I got a great deal and I bought the right one, right? For what I'm trying to do. So I'm not coming at this from a total cost standpoint or even a budget standpoint. I'm going to hold myself to a fairly reasonable, like, yeah, I could go spend 5,000 on this. If I wasn't, if I was going to do that, I just would have bought the the best parts already. And then we'd have been done and it wouldn't have been fun to talk about it. But here, Christian, you know, I was getting ready to spend $200 on a motherboard. And he's like, hey, wait a minute, for 20 bucks more, I think you can get what you're looking for. Well, I feel a little bit better about that board than I felt about now. Kind of like, okay, based on what I want to do and what I think the future is, Christian, I'll probably hold on to this PC for six, maybe eight years, right? From uh, just a so always go for 10. Flamethrowers has crossed its 10 year anniversary. She's yeah. doing beautifully. She still runs a yeah. AMD FX 8350 uh, CPU. Yeah. And this this box, which is the 5950 box on the Dark Hero with the 3080, um, water-cooled and 64 gigs of RAM with a Western Digital Black is on year... It's past its one-year mark. And I'm like, my God, if this thing doesn't last 15 years, I've done something very wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, the, my original build from i think it's eight now the 4770 i think is what it is is and i've bumped that thing up to 64 i think it's 64 it's the max on that thing could be 32 i have to take a look at it again but i've pushed that as far as I can. it's still a great pc it's just now i'm starting to see some things that are like okay you can't run that on that <laughs> you know now i could put a gpu in it but would i really want to buy a new gpu and put it in that system Maybe, but but maybe not. Uh, John says, uh, I get that, but the answer is usually 3K, uh, uh, not ma- no matter what year it is. And that may be true. I may end up spending three grand on this. I've always found computers that I want for 3,000. We may get to that point. I, 
doubt it. I don't think I'm going to go that high. I kind of just kind of depends on where, like Christian, to your point, I really like just putting 120 in there and be done. All the computers that I have right now, I've had to go back and buy memory for them again. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, eh, get matched pairs. Like, throw that's them a good thing there. to know, though, in your case. Like, if you've had that history, then yeah. yeah. If you think yeah. if you think you're going to expand, like maybe I don't want to run three VMs, I want to run six VMs. And in your right. case, it may make sense. Yeah, um, yeah. And I don't feel like the extra two hundred is is throwing money at nothing because there's been a history of me running more VMs than less for the some of the things I'm doing in a lot of the crypto space that I've been in so far. Man, the VMs have been super helpful, and so it's just it's like okay. I may not, but chances are, based on history, I may. Let's quick, uh, as we think about wrapping this thing up, because we're already way into it, but GPUs. We already know the 4040 series. It's a little messy right now, and I'm definitely not paying a premium. Been looking at the 360s. I spent time with Bob and Ryan just last night on thinkcomputers.org. guys in their chat room. Super helpful, both the chat room and them helping me live. I think they've got me convinced to go 3060 Ti. Like, I think that's the, we're, we're what, 600 bucks maybe, I think 500 bucks for a Ti, somewhere in there. Maybe less. They've also convinced me to hold off right now till all this NVIDIA nonsense comes out that, that they're doing, right? But Christian, what, what do you think? 3060 Ti for, again, VR, some gaming, not a huge gamer, but I do want to do some some gaming on it or have the ability to do it. That seems like a sweet spot, don't you think? Yeah. Um, the cards have never been cheaper, and so uh, the value of staying in the third gen to me is a no-brainer. Um, and it's just a question of what types of games at what level of excitement you think you're going to be dealing with. Um, one of the big questions that I think people forget to ask about is they ask themselves a lot of questions about the card, but they don't ask themselves a lot of questions about the monitor. So mm-hmm. if you're running a 120 hertz monitor, probably doesn't matter the difference between like a 3060 Ti and a 3070. You're not going to see it anyway. Um, so that to me is a big thing. Like, for example, I'm in the same boat. Like I have a 3080, but I have a 60 Hertz monitor. What good does that do me? Absolutely nothing. I'm not going to get, um, all of the G sync and the 144 Hertz and whatnot, but I built it knowing at some point when I'm sick of this 38 inch monitor, I'm going to go get the thing that specs and matches the card. And I'm fine with that Mm -hmm. because I, my 99% use case is reading text. It's not gaming. Right. I occasionally game but it's not my thing. So um, I think a 3060 Ti is is a fine option. I would look, though, at the frame rates for, like, pick your top three VR games that you would envision yourself playing and then go look at the benchmarks between the 3060 Ti and the 3070. And if you see... Yeah, these titles run fine on either card and the the numbers aren't really that big apart. I would feel pretty confident in your buy for the 3060 Ti. Um, if you look at those and, oh, well, there's some pretty substantial number differences here for the VR use case. Um, and I might want to do something more with my monitor in a few years. That's maybe the trigger to think about a step up to a 3070. Okay. 
the 3060 Ti 8 gig that I'm showing right now for 50, 450. I'm not sure I trust Zotac on this, by the sure. way. But. Okay. No, it's that's that's good to hear. You know, we we the the other question I'd kind of asked Bob and Ryan last night was, you know, I could go with just a 3060 and get 12 gig of RAM. And I, the th- most of the 3060 TIs now are eight or ten. And um, you know, these are even a little bit cheaper. And and some of the thought was from a pure gaming perspective, getting the TI is more valuable than getting the more RAM. Do you have any any thoughts on that? Um you know, this is not a bad uh card for the market for for the the average case. I would think I think of the 3060 more in a line with what Intel is trying to do with their new cards. So that's like a good comparison point. I think that TI does give you a little bit of an edge. I would go with something a little bit more on brand than Zotac, only because Zot- I mean Zotac has improved their quality. So I, you know. I can't say I've had bad stories with Zotac, but I've also, they haven't really earned my consumer trusts on that. Um, I would jump at the chance to, to get some, if it was 10 bucks more to go with Asus, I'd, I'd every single time I'd hit that button. Um, the other, uh, I'm going to get a bunch of stares and how dare you. Um, but the (laughs) other interesting angle about this to throw in your kind of thought is, um, have you thought about an AMD GPU? And the only reason I say that is because, yeah, no one would argue a 3090 head-to-head with a 6900 XT isn't a fair fight. However, some of those RT cards are going to be very price competitive and perform better than your 3060, 3070s. So, like, if you look at this is a great example of this. Like, yeah, it's a next step up in price range, but even if you go down to, like, the... Um, the 6750 XT, um, you're looking at a card that's priced about the same as the 3060 Ti. And I'm, I'm going and looking back at benches, but I bet you, you probably would bench better on that card. Yeah, even so, and the card we were looking at was a 6900. Here's an RX 68 uh, with 16 gig of RAM, 529. So uh, the one before it was uh, uh, was over 600. And then, um, and, and Bob and Ryan, as, as I was chatting with them a little bit, were kind of encouraging me to stay mostly on the NVIDIA side. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's not unwise guidance. Actually, yeah. I was just looking. So 3060 Ti does bench about 17% better on average than the 6750. So that answers that question yeah that um, to so, me the the 30 the 3060 ti feels like this 5600 x mm-hmm. from a mm-hmm. value a dollar value to what i'm getting based on my use case like not going to do hardcore gaming i'm probably going to put a uh 60 you know a, a you know a, a monitor that's got that comes at 60 hertz probably not 120 I'm probably going to go for an ultra wide. Um, and, and so I, but I'm, I don't, I'm doing V I'm primarily going to think about this from a VR standpoint, which is a little bit different, right? When you think about your monitor, but this would give me an opportunity to upgrade and get another curved monitor down here so that I've got the Mac on one. This is a 1440 works perfectly for what I'm doing off the Mac. 
the Mac could probably drive a little bit more on that, but I don't need it. I'm not gaming on the Mac. I'm podcasting on the map. This has been perfect for what it uh, is. I think about this. Okay. Now I've got a 3060 TI. What could I push with that? And what would be the right monitor that would complement that card? That, that's also value, right? I'd have that same kind of conversation. We haven't picked a card yet, so I can't pick a monitor. But at some point, maybe I'll have you back on. And we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll pick a monitor. Um, I don't need it right away. Um, the way I'm going to run the computer, I can still run it off the monitors that I have here that are just fine because they're just monitors, right? I don't game on them at the moment. Eventually, we would get into that, and I might want to upgrade, put the monitor on that. It also gives me the opportunity as I get into this, if I need to ditch the 3060, I could, I could, I got it at a pretty good price point. I could probably drop it, sell it for a little bit less and upgrade if I need to. I don't think I would though, just to be honest. So just some thoughts. Okay. That helps me. That gets me a little bit closer to this. I'm going to take a hard look at this Asus board that you've got on there and that may be making its way. Um, I, I may be helping pay your salary uh, <laughs> on its way. Um, although the, the margins just gotta be razor thin on these things. So, um, we'll be getting that. I'll be thinking through that. And then really the next question I need to answer is memory. What do I want to do with, cause I'm waiting. Their advice is even though I've made a decision on a 3060 TI, I say that's where I land tonight. I'm pretty confident with that. Wait, let's see what happens. See how these NVIDIA sh- uh, shenanigans shake out. I still may be able to get that 3060 Ti just a little bit cheaper, maybe as especially as we're thinking about Black Friday. So that's if you're listening to this and you're in that same boat, which is why I'm sharing this with you. Maybe you're thinking about this too, Christian. I'm so glad I waited. I I was gonna. I wanted to build during the pandemic, and like that was just nuts. Oville, <laughs> like that was crazy. Yeah. And I feel like now's the time. We're in that. I feel like now we're in that sweet spot. Who knows what's going to go on next year with the economy and things and supply chain and whatever. It's good now and prices are dropping. I think I need to take advantage of this window and jump in and get some things done and get this built. So I think my thought is get a board, um, uh, get the board, get the memory, drop it in a case. I've already got the the, uh, the power supply for it. And uh, and get some kind of get some things up and running. I guess I'll need to get an M not an M dot two drive of some sort. That's pretty easy. I think that's highly a recommend the Western Digital Black. Okay. Um, okay. And a terabyte. I, you highly think? recommended. Or two, a terabyte or two. I go with two just because you know me. Uh, data just follows me. But um, <laughs> if again, it yeah, depends yeah. on if you're offloading stuff to servers and cloud a lot. Uh, you can get away with the one, but. Uh, I've had nothing but fantastic results with the okay. um, the SN850, and it integrates with um, some of the higher end uh, GPU math these days. So, okay. when these car when these cards first came out, they were like four hundred dollars. You can now get the two terabyte eight fifty black for like two hundred twenty bucks. So, like okay. half the price, just like you're saying, about half the price from what it launched at. It is a great high quality M2 that thing just rips. Um, yeah. One of the most yeah. impressive M2s uh, I've, I've owned. I've, I subscribed to Western Digital's um, uh, deals list, and certainly they have been running some pretty good deals uh, as of late. And I imagine as we get closer to, again, the, the universe is converging at this point, and it's like 
Black Friday's coming up. Holidays are coming up. Impending recession is coming up. Like, <laughs> you know, you're kind of like, uh, well, okay, let's, this, this may be the time to uh, kind of pull the trigger. And I've been saving my pennies so that we could, I could do a build like this. I also, you know, John, just kind of back to your point about, about price. I just don't want to get locked in. I knew I wasn't going to go too crazy with it because I'm just not built that way. But I also didn't want to get locked into a budget, make a bad decision that I'd regret yeah. about, oh, I should have spent, you know, I shouldn't, I, I, I shouldn't have cheaped out and went with the AMD or, or I mean the Intel arc, you know, oh, it's first gen, but it was cheap or, or I go the AMD route or I, I overspend on something. I'm trying to figure out those right, right places to do it. I would, I would feel good about 128. Like you know, 128 gig of RAM in there. I'd make, even at 400 bucks, that would make me. I'd rather spend that money there and then maybe slim down my case because I just don't like the case. I just don't care about. It's people aren't going to look at my case, so none of the RGB stuff's going to be turned on. <laughs> like I'm turning everything off. This thing is not going to glow in the dark, right? So those are some of the things um, uh, uh, with it. So no, John, and I, I totally get where you're going. He says, I wasn't meaning establish a, a budget. I was meaning, uh, what you end up costing for the configuration that you want. I, I'll let you know when I'm done. I still haven't made a final decision on a lot of the parts. We're having these conversations live and, uh, kind of build it as we go to see where, where we're at. I feel good about the first thing. And, I, and, and Christian, I'll send you a note. If I, um, if I pick up the board, I might, I might even, that may even happen. Um, after the show tonight. So thanks for all the advice. Anything I'm missing on that build? Anything else I we didn't talk about that you would you give me advice on? Coolers. Uh, oh, I guess 5600 comes with the AMD cooler. That's right. It's got a stock. Ryan over at thinkcomputers.org, he's got a bunch of stock, or he's got a bunch of uh, coolers that he's reviewed that he's going to send one over to me uh, to use. It's a liquid cool. So we'll, it's an all-in-one kind of liquid cool unit. So we're going to give, uh, I'm going to, I'll probably start with this. The I think this one came with it. And um, yeah, it's a big ass box. It better have a fan in there. Um, the But he's going to send me one too that he likes, uh, that he's got in his in his boneyard, so to speak, to use as a cooler. So um, do I need to, do I need to worry about cooling the, 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 um, the hard drive, the, the, uh, the M.2 drive? Is that I don't a, worry about it. Is that a thing? It's been okay. fine. Okay. Yeah, they have the they have the. Um, I mean, my board has the the heat sink that you stick on top of it to match the board, and I think it comes with one in the box too. But I haven't had to do anything special. Yeah, um, and I think that board's got active cooling on the board itself to mm-hmm. cool the chipset on the board, which is which is kind of cool. So that'll be kind of fun to. Um, that'll be kind of fun to see. Well, cool. Well, I w- we'll, we'll continue to, um, if you want to join us in the Discord group, theaverageguy.tv slash Discord, you can jump in there. It's it's the nicest group of guys on the planet. We never, there's never any crazy conversations in there. It's just all super helpful. And I think everybody's just trying to help people get to to a, a natural conclusion. Christian, thanks for jumping in and filling us in on, uh, on the, and your thoughts on crypto, as well as getting me the right, uh, kind of getting me to the right sport. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'll probably take that link. Did we throw that link uh, for that Asus board in the Discord chat? Maybe I'll throw it in there later tonight and let them grind on that right for a day. Yeah, why don't you do that? Um, well, maybe we'll grind on that for a day or so because I don't think it's going to go up. 
at this point, but, um, and I don't need it tomorrow. So we can maybe grind on it through the weekend and go from there. Well, a couple of reminders while Christian's doing that, a couple of reminders on the way out. Don't forget, if you want to join us, if you find value in the podcast and you want to uh, uh, give back on that value, you can do it through Patreon, theaverageguy.tv slash Patreon. We'll get you there. Uh, big thanks um, for that. Join the Discord group, theaverageguy.tv slash Discord. If you want to leave a message, Eric, you're always so good. Neil as well about sending me emails, jim at theaverageguy.tv. You can leave a message. Go to homegadgetgeeks.com. There's a microphone in the bottom right-hand corner. Leave a message. Just email me after you leave the message because I don't check that email very often for the voicemail. So I can go grab that and we can play it here on the show. Eric, thanks for your note this week. Uh, as you see, it influenced the show if you'd like to do that as well. And then don't forget the AverageGuy.tv platform, both web and media hosting, powered by Maple Grove Partners. We talked about them in the beginning of the show. Get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from people that you know and you trust. And it's that guy over there. Does a bang-up job of it. For more information, visit MapleGrovePartners.com. We are back next Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern. I think Jay's joining us again, and um, his co-host from his show will be with us. And we're going to have a good time together. So it'll be a very, very different show next week, but it will be fun. Fola is going to join us. Marv V joins us. The B, I'm sorry, V. Mar, that's, that's a new, that's a new Marv. But Marv B uh, joins us. And then uh, the week after that, I got Dave from Mac Geek Gab coming on. And so we've got some things coming up you might want to be a part of. We're live every Thursday, just about. I won't be live on Thanksgiving, which is coming up here. On the uh, on the twenty fourth, but we're live every. We're, I almost said we're live every Thanksgiving. We're live every Thursday, eight PM Central, nine Eastern. Now here at the Average Guy slash live. We'll see you back here next week. Maybe a little post show, Christian. You got a few minutes? Can you? Yep. Can you hang for a few? Okay, maybe a little bit of a post show. With that, we'll say goodbye. Everybody.